is just about, you know, understanding why you're doing something. And I, I feel like once you find the why to anything, then it makes you resilient because you can always revert back to that why. And for me, my why was helping people become healthier and in turn, kind of opening up the door for them to become more conscious individuals and understand things from a different perspective that, you know, once you change, your thoughts and your actions are connected so tightly. And, you know, your thoughts control your actions, your actions control your thoughts. If you change the act of eating meat and eliminate it from your diet, your thoughts on the subject will change as well. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the PBN Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Lockie. This week's guest is Mr. Nimai Delgado. He's an American professional men's physique bodybuilder, a public speaker, and a vegan athlete. And he's been a vegetarian his entire life. But in 2015, he switched to a 100% vegan diet. Nimai now uses social media to spread a passionate message of fitness, wellness, mental health, and of course, the vegan lifestyle. Welcome, Nimai. What's up, Robbie? How's it going, man? Yeah, good. Thank you so much for joining us on the PBN podcast. It's an absolute uh, honor to have you here. Uh, no, man, it's my honor. It's my pleasure. I love everything you guys have been doing. You guys, yeah, such an incredible uh, platform that you've been able to help create. I mean, the last few years and yeah, I'm all for PBN. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been quite a trip. I tell you what. <laughs> Um, before we sort of dive into what you're doing with your life now and all your different um jobs and uh, careers and all the things that you're involved in let's go back to your uh, the beginning of your vegan journey and tell us about back in 2015 and how you got exposed to the vegan lifestyle and where it all began yeah so um <clears throat> hopefully people aren't sick and tired <clears throat> of hearing me tell the story but <laughs> uh i think we have a very different audience uh, okay maybe that's right yeah right. yeah i just sometimes you tell stories and i feel like i'm just repeating myself but hopefully yeah. for those that are listening you get <laughs> you know some new insight to to my Not story so. but yeah. uh basically you know i i was always exposed to uh eating plant-based just because i was raised vegetarian like you mentioned earlier um and that's this kind of the philosophy i was raised with as far as just uh not eating animals because I understood that they were other living sentient beings. And um, if an animal died to get to the point where it was on my plate, then I contributed to that in some way because I was consuming that. So it, it was, that's, it's kind of a difficult concept to, to convey to people at an early age, but when you're a young kid, it makes a lot of sense. You know, you, you're kind of not indoctrinated by like, you know, societal views and kind of shaped by your environment. Um, luckily, I was raised in that vegetarian household, so it became really easy for me. Uh, but at the same time, I, there was a bit of a disconnect too, because I was a lacto vegetarian growing up. So I had, you know, dairy products, uh, I didn't have egg products, but, um, or anything else. It was pretty much just dairy. And that was like, you know, it was normal. It was never considered bad. And I kind of had this flexible morality as well, where I never saw anything wrong with it. You know, I, I was justified to myself that, you know, these, these dairy cows, they're not being killed, you know, they're just being milked. Mm -hmm. And I even grew up on a dairy farm, well, not a dairy farm, but a cow. I grew up on a farm that had, <laughs> that had cows on it. Uh -huh. And I saw the cows getting milked and the, the, the milk that those cows produced were used within the community or was used within the community to make 
cheese and curd and yogurt and things like that. So it was like a different perspective on things. But, you know, fast forward to uh, 2015, I was, uh, I think I was 25. And I was working as a corporate engineer at the time. And my background's mechanical engineering. And I had I had just started working for this company, maybe a few years. And I really understood like my role in that company was to optimize processes. And there's a million different ways you could do that. But basically, it was my job to make things more efficient and to find ways to cut costs to increase margins, profit margins, right? Mm -hmm. So I worked also worked in like a very mechanical, like, you know, uh, environment where I was working for gas plants and mm -hmm. an oil company. So essentially I was like, you know, really trying to maximize the the output of the product that they were producing. Um, so I, I was very familiar with like that kind of industry and, and working in an environment where I'm surrounded by processes. Well, back in 2015, my, my mom of all people, uh, were on Facebook, she shared a video that showed kind of like you know, behind the iron curtain of what goes mm -hmm. on behind dairy industries, mm -hmm. like behind the dairy industry. And don't get me wrong. I, I was really like impacted by it, but I would always had that, that strong sense of connection with animals. So like, it wasn't too like <clears throat> new for me to feel that way. But looking at this video, I was really intrigued by the amount of mechanical systems that were like, that were involved with extracting milk from cows on such a large scale because I had this like engineering set of lenses and I was looking at it and I was like, wow, there's so much machinery and there's so much like intricacy behind the process. And then it hit me that, you know, this is all mechanical systems that can be optimized. And in reality, there's a guy that's just like me working for the dairy industry that is working to optimize their systems to increase their profit margins at the expense of these animals. And it really hit me in a way that like kind of opened up my eyes that by me buying or, you know, consuming these products, I was basically supporting that person and supporting this industry and basically paying the light bills and paying this guy's salary. So he could work harder to make, you know, larger profit margins at the expense of these animals. And it, and it really just kind of like, just changed my perspective on it. And I was like, I'm not going to support this industry anymore. And I don't think it's right. And these living conditions that these animals are getting in is, is getting worse and worse because they're just trying to cut costs by any mean. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that was when I, I made the decision that day that I wasn't going to support it anymore. And I just cut it out completely from, from my diet. Mm -hmm. Amazing. And how, how did your family respond to your kind of decision to make these changes? I didn't even tell him. I mean, it was just like, a, it was just like, I didn't announce it. I didn't do anything. Yeah. I just kind of like told, told myself, uh, I was like, you know, day one, I'm not going to, I'm not going to eat cheese anymore and I'm not going to drink whey protein shakes or have Greek mm -hmm. yogurt anymore. And, Were you uh, familiar with what like a vegan was and the vegan movement and all that at the time? To be honest, I, I knew what a vegan was. Yeah. But I never really, uh, gave it a, gave it a second thought. You know, because I had seen, um, you know, all kind of, uh, what do you call it? I mean, just like people advocating for veganism. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, I kind of wrote them off. I was like, yeah, whatever. It's like, again, I, I had that flexible morality. I was like, why should I sure. stop eating cheese? Mm -hmm. um, so I never really gave it a second thought. But then after I decided to cut it out, I kind of like, I was like, well, I guess, I guess I am vegan now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm one mm -hmm. of them now. 
Yeah, you you spoke about your childhood, and I've and we've I've had discussions with other people about like how our childhood can shape our ethical and moral stance as people. Do you want to just touch briefly on your your upbringing, your childhood from a spiritual perspective? Because I know that you have had some part of positive influences, especially from the fact that you grew up in a family that didn't eat meat in a vegetarian household. Yeah, definitely. I think that you know we are we are shaped by our environment. There's no way around it. And those are our initial tribe, you know, they have such great influence on how we are shaped as humans and the people that we become, because it's a framework, right? It's it's the framework that you're taught whenever you're uh, a child to believe whether or not something's okay, whether or not something's wrong. Um, It's basically reinforced by the people around you. So luckily for me, I was raised in an environment where, um, it was a very spiritual household. Um, my, my background, my religious background is, um, I I was raised with the Hare Krishnas. So Mm -hmm. essentially, uh, it's like, I wouldn't say it's another denomination, but it's a, it's, it's Hinduism. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was raised in a farm, uh, that was primarily predominantly Hare Krishnas. And we had our own temple that we went to every day. Uh, we had our own cow farm where the, the cows in the farm were treated with respect, with love. And, you know, they were only milked whenever they were lactating and, and things like that. And we also had like a self-sustaining garden where the community members would maintain this garden that would provide fresh food for the community members. So it was a really, really like kind of like progressive uh environment where i grew up mm-hmm. but of all yeah. places it was it was in south mississippi which is like yeah. the least progressive state in the united states so um one of one of the i guess philosophies of hinduism is is called ahimsa mm-hmm. which essentially means translates it's a sanskrit word that translates to nonviolence mm-hmm. and you know, we really try to embody nonviolence in every single facet of our life. And that includes the food that we eat. And that's kind of like the philosophy that I was taught, you know, again, going back to, if you look at it from a karmic perspective, um, you know, an animal dies for you to live. Mm. If, if, if you could avoid that and still live healthily and happily, then why wouldn't you do that? You know what I mean? You just kind of, kind of like, uh, compounding this this like like this like energetic account of of Mm. negative energy or or karmic Mm. retribution you know because i believe firmly that everything we do in this life has an equal and opposite reaction so Mm -hmm. you know if you do bad in the world bad is done to you in some form or way and Mm. you know if you contribute to suffering then you have to suffer later on in life Mm. so this is basically Mm -hmm. a way of elevating consciousness is elevating or detaching yourself from kind of karmic retribution Mm -hmm. and uh and yeah, it, it's a really easy concept to understand when you're a kid. And yeah, I, it is. I, I children, are naturally compa- children are naturally compassionate, aren't they? We're born compassionate creatures. Well, do you think, that's a good question, actually, do you think that humans are born naturally compassionate? Of course. I mean, think about a little kid. Would you, like, do little kids, like, light up whenever you tell them you're going to, like, to the zoo <laughs> or a petting farm? Like, you wouldn't take a kid to a slaughterhouse. You would take them to a petting mm. farm where you, you're compassionate with the animals. You don't teach them, mm. you know, this is the reality of, like, all these mm-hmm. animals getting slaughtered because that would completely traumatize a kid. Mm-hmm. But if you, te- mm. if you bring them to, like, a petting farm where they're, they're interacting with these animals and petting them and showing compassion, like, that's just humans it's how we are we're compassionate you know I, I use this analogy all the time but if you were to place an apple and a baby chicken in front of a, a child it would 
grab the apple and eat it and it would pet the chicken. It mm-hmm. wouldn't grab the chicken and rip his head off <laughs> and start gnawing on it. That's not how we are. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, it's so true. And I think, but when it comes to this sort of spiritual aspect, there's quite a lot of confusion. So I, you know, I grew up um, Catholic and uh, in a very small town and, you know, people promulgated these spiritual beliefs. And I came into kind of the Western world from Africa as a small child and kind of started to explore spirituality in different ways. And I discovered Buddhism. Um, and then obviously then Buddhism led me to veganism because it opened up my mind to these ideas of ahimsa and compassion. But as I've been vegan for sort of seven years now, I've noticed and become very aware that there are a lot of people who consider themselves deeply spiritual and deeply um, kind of connected to the Ahimsa concept, but yet they still eat animals and they still buy leather and they still are part of this abusive system. Do you think that it's a a case that a lot of people are just oblivious or do you think some people are just generally against the idea of making these changes? Because it's quite hard to get people to make these shifts. It's not always easy to say to a person, oh, well, you're a spiritual person. You must automatically get what veganism is about. Does it make sense? Of course. And we don't have the ability to make anybody change. Change comes from within. It has to be that individual's desire to change in order to make those types of drastic radical changes in their life, you know, because it's not easy. And I understand that fully. And I think growing up in an environment where nobody understood my choices really helped me become empathetic to others that are, it takes time. You know what I mean? It's a process. Everybody's in their spiritual journey. Everybody's in their journey in life. And you can't compare your, you know, chapter 10 to somebody's chapter one. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that like whenever a person is ready to accept that truth, then they can make the changes. But until then, maybe people make Again, flexible morality. It's mm-hmm. it's things that justify injustices, mm. um, and, and it's it's a challenging aspect to talk about when it comes to veganism because when you talk about morality and ethics, it's mm. the scale is not even. You know, mm-hmm. some people think that you know what one person may consider ethical, the other person the other person may think it's completely unethical. So that's why it's difficult to to approach veganism from an ethical perspective and kind of like take a moral high ground because it comes <laughs> off that way. You know, mm-hmm. when you when you're talking about I'm a better person because I don't do this and you do this, it's completely off-putting to a person and that's that's why I don't really talk about veganism from an ethical or or spiritual perspective because I I've been there. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up in that environment and having these challenging conversations as a young kid. And I, I see how people react and I've, I've seen how people react my entire life. So mm-hmm. my way of communicating veganism to those that aren't vegan is primarily from a health perspective because it's encompassing. It's, it's inviting, you know what I mean? It's, it's not kind of a me versus you mentality. It's like, Hey, let's do this together so we can all live healthier and happier. And it it will not only promote longevity, but it'll make you a happier person. And by the way, all these other benefits naturally come from adopting this diet. Mm, mm, Absolutely. And speaking of health and fitness and wellness, uh, you've made a life and a career out of this uh, and you work on a daily basis to spread this message. Do you want to touch a bit on how you got involved in fitness and bodybuilding and how this kind of world has kind of opened up to you? 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've always been kind of into fitness and, and very active person my entire life. You know, I used to, I used to play soccer. I used to skate, I used to play football, all these sports. And, um, it wasn't until I was about like 17 or 18, maybe somewhere around there where I started getting into the gym and I just kind of naturally fell in love with it. But at that time in my life, it was just kind of like, you know, a social thing to do. I go to the gym with a few friends. And, um, when I went to college, uh, I kind of got a little bit more interested in it. And again, learning engineering, it teaches you a lot of different things to dissect, um, a certain thing to, to its core and understand it from its core and then break things down into processes. So again, your body is like a machine, you know, you, it can be broken down into several different processes. And if you learn how to kind of take advantage and understand those processes, then you can optimize the machine. And mm-hmm. one of the first things you you learn is, is about energy, you know, when you're in school and making proper use of energy. And for me, taking a look at my nutrition was, it was like an easy win. You know, you optimize the fuel that you put in your body, you optimize the machine. So that's when I started getting a little bit more intrigued by nutrition. But at that time I was still like vegetarian. So I kind of went by these, these standard bodybuilding protocols or these, these bodybuilding paradigms where they're recommending to eat 40% of your calorie, uh, calories from protein. So as a vegetarian, I was following that recommendation and I was getting loads and loads of whey protein, uh, because I had to rely on those, those dairy sources for my protein. Cause I was just uneducated and I didn't know that you could get all this other protein from plants. So I was like pounding two or three whey protein shakes a day. I was like, you know, eating cottage cheese and nonfat Greek yogurt. Mm-hmm. They're all packed with protein. Um, but Again, it, it, it was at my expense because I was having constant digestive issues and everything else. And then whenever I went vegan and I cut all that stuff out and I started doing more research into like actual clinical studies and just investigative research about like what's like, okay, yeah, this is what this website says or this article says, but what does the science say? And what does like mm-hmm. the published study say? And I just mm-hmm. quickly, you can quickly identify that you don't need as much protein as what, you know, it, what is marketed to you. And I just felt more comfortable and I reduced the amount of protein I was taking. I switched my protein shakes to a plant-based source and I just Mm -hmm. started incorporating more grains, more legumes, more beans into my diet. And I was easily hitting the required amount of protein, um, from strictly eating plants. And then this was all kind of like, you know, culminating at the same time, because whenever I did go vegan, I was getting much more into fitness because it was kind of my escape from my corporate job. Mm-hmm. And I, for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just kind of like, I, I was in a new city. I didn't know anybody. Uh, I was still kind of very fresh to California and what I knew was, was the gym. So I would just go there. And, uh, ironically, somebody from the gym recommended that I should do a bodybuilding contest. And I was like, yeah, right. Like I'm not going to get on stage and flex in front of a bunch of strangers. It's so Mm-hmm. stupid. <laughs> and and then I thought about it more and I was like, you know, what else am I doing? I don't have any, anything uh-huh. else really going on apart from work. So I, it'd be fun to have some kind of challenge and it'll maybe make me work harder. So, um, at, right at that time was when my mom shared that video though. So I, I went from being like, you know, you know, a vegetarian bodybuilder to a vegan bodybuilder overnight. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I decided to do a bodybuilding show. So I had to like learn how to prepare for a bodybuilding show as a vegan, which wow. there's no, there was no information about it at the mm. time. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you that. No, no, at least that from what I could find, there was none. So I kind of had to like really dig deep and, and, and start researching, you know, how to adapt a traditional bodybuilding diet to a vegan diet and unlike, but still like in alignment with like the clinical studies, not like what I found on bodybuilding.com and things like that. Cause it just didn't, it didn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it turns out eight weeks later, you know, I, I kind of was just experimenting as I went and I ended up winning the entire show and I wow. walked away with like a ton of trophies and I was just really inspired. And again, whenever I got off stage, people were really interested in how I, how I trained, what I ate. And then they were really just kind of blown away when I told them that I didn't, I, I did it completely plant-based. Like I didn't mm-hmm. announce on Instagram that I was <laughs> I was a vegan or anything like that. It was kind of, it wasn't until like I did my first show that I saw the interest from people. And then I started promoting it. Mm-hmm. Why do you think people find it so hard to believe that you've never eaten meat? Cause I think this is, this is the interesting thing about society that we have this huge equation between what people just view what a strong man is. And there's always this association with eating animal products. Um, you know, and obviously as a competitor as well, like you're a very humble and modest person, but then you're also kind of this engineer and a scientist as well so you you see your body as a machine but can you comment a bit on how like society has this obsession with like meat and muscle and manliness and how they you know society is obsessed with the fact that they can only ever go together yeah i think i mean i'm not like an anthropologist or anything like that but i i mean i'm sure if you study culture then it it does go hand in hand because men were providers. They were the hunters, you know, it was like the men's duty to go out and hunt. I mean, naturally that requires strength. So maybe there's, there's a strong correlation between that. But, Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that we've just kind of been conditioned to believe that, you know, meat equals strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it's just, it's really not, not the case because even if you look at it from like a nutritional standpoint, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, protein helps build muscle and recover, but, and a ton of other, it's used for a ton of other processes, but really like carbohydrates is what really fuels you through any kind of endeavor. So <laughs> it's really the carbs that like really make you strong mm-hmm. because it, mm-hmm. it, it comes before the recovery, you know, it's the actual process of, of breaking yourself down and, and pushing you to that extent where your body has to adapt and grow. So it, it's, it, it's challenging to kind of unlearn those things. And that's what makes it so challenging being a vegan bodybuilder is because people naturally just write you off. You know, they, right. they, it's, it's so unheard of like veganism a few years ago was, was really unheard of, mm-hmm. uh, let alone a vegan athlete let alone a vegan bodybuilder, because like, Mm -hmm. again, chicken and beef and steak and all those things go hand in hand with strength and bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. So for a bodybuilder to stand up on stage and say, Hey, I've never eaten any of those things. I've never eaten chicken or beef or steak. And I don't have eggs in the morning. You know, people just don't know what to believe. They're like, so Mm -hmm. you're telling me that you got this physique off of plants, like now get out of here, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so it is challenging. It's really challenging, but I think that you need people to kind of challenge the the status quo in order for there to be change. And the more people that speak out and come forth saying that like, Hey, I'm doing it too. That, that just inspires people. And it's just kind of reinforcing for anybody that's, that's has concerns. 
you know absolutely and inspiring people you are <laughs> on a daily basis um when it comes to kind of the day-to-day of being a bodybuilder and building muscle as a human you must get these the same old tropes pulled out over and over again about oh that you can't get enough protein you can't get enough quality protein um I, you know i get bored to tears of this question like where do you get your protein from <laughs> you know it's the most common question over and over because i think like you say it's a cultural conditioning in which we've created this obsession with people that we you know protein is the most important thing a human being must consume what are some of the other than where do you get your protein from where are some of the sort of key things non-vegan bodybuilders are afraid of about switching over to a, a fully plant-based um eating plan um definitely protein is number one um, I guess, again, strength that people think they're going to lose performance or lose strength if they switch over to a vegan diet. And a lot of times, sometimes that does happen for people because they're just uneducated in a vegan diet. So they think a vegan diet only entails eating, you know, green vegetables or salads. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they don't realize that whenever you cut out meat and animal products from your diet, you have to replace those calories. And on top of that, plant calories are far less dense than, you know, those meat calories. So, um, or those meat sources, I mean, so you have to eat more after you cut out those, those products from your diet. And what happens is a lot of people, whenever they first make the switch, they forget that, or they don't know that. So they naturally eat way less calories Mm -hmm. and they're still afraid of carbs. So they still try to keep their carbs low. And then uh, what's going to happen. You're going to feel fatigued. You're going to feel tired. You know, you're not going to feel yourself because you're not getting enough fuel. You're not getting enough calories. Um, So that's like the biggest challenge. I feel like convincing people that carbs are not the enemy, you know, Mm -hmm. refined, refined carbohydrates and stuff like that's Mm -hmm. a different story, but natural foods in their most natural state are not your enemy. You can Mm -hmm. eat them in abundance. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You can eat your oatmeal. You can eat your, you know, your whole wheat pasta. You can eat your legumes and rice and quinoa and potatoes or whatever else you want in, in abundance and not have to worry about getting fat because of it. Um, but that's a big challenge. I would say, um, another challenge would be, the social aspect. I think the the social aspect is the biggest challenge because the science is there. The evidence is there. There's a ton of people that are saying it's possible, but not everybody has the wherewithal to stand up in front of their peers and say like, Hey, I'm making this decision to, to cut, to eliminate animal products from my diet and have the support from their peers. Mm -hmm. Normally it, it it's, you know, Again, this is the stuff that I deal with every day. You know, vegans have this misconception of being weak or mistaking compassion for weakness. You know, just because you want to be compassionate for other living beings, it automatically makes you a pussy, you know, Mm -hmm. or or less strong or something like that. Excuse my language, but like that's the reality that people Mm -hmm. have. Mm -hmm. And it's, 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 it's finding the the solutions to those problems, the social problem. And now it's becoming much more evident and much more mainstream and much more kind of like an afterthought, you know, that's like, Hey, I'm going vegan. Cool. Whatever. <laughs> like, I don't care. <laughs> you know, it's a bit like it used to be like coming out, you know, Oh, I'm gay. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. Everyone freaks out. People now would you rather say- you be gay. <laughs> Like, like I've heard, I've heard like, like stories of people online and being like, yeah, like, after I told my parents I was I was going vegan, they they told me they would have preferred me say that I was gay. And I was like, that's such that's so mind blowing to me, you wow. know, that anybody has it, that kind of reaction just to make a personal decision. And here's a here's the funny thing, too, it is like <clears throat> I like I said, I grew up vegetarian. I have dealt with this conversation my entire life. 
Not mm-hmm. a day has gone by where I've not mm-hmm. discussed my food and dietary choices. Not a day. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I can remember like I have like all of these examples in my head and scenarios in my head that I've experienced where I've been challenged because of those decisions. And the way you frame something makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. Because if you say, if I said my entire life, hey, I don't eat animals because I think it's wrong and I don't believe in taking another animal's life for my convenience, mm-hmm. people automatically get defensive about that because that automatically puts them in a position where they are taking advantage of an animal uh, for their convenience and it makes them feel a little bit uncomfortable mm-hmm. or guilty. Mm-hmm. But if you, fr- if you frame it saying, hey, I don't eat those products because I don't like them, people respect that. It's so, Mm. it's so weird. Or if you're Mm. saying like, I don't, I don't eat those products because I'm allergic. People automatically take you uh, like more seriously. They they Mm -hmm. see it as like, oh, okay. He can't eat those things. So it's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. they don't question it. But the Mm -hmm. moment you, you bring this kind of argument where it's like, I don't eat this because I have a a moral and ethical standpoint against it. People want to challenge it. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just interesting to me that, that the reactions can be so different based off the way you frame it. Mm -hmm. So that's why, again, I talk about veganism from a health perspective because Mm -hmm. everybody can get on board with wanting to look better and everybody can get on board or wanting to feel better or, you know, cure their acne or feel energized throughout the day and stuff like that. But it's just interesting. It is. It's a good entry point, I think, because obviously, as you said, everyone has health or or bad health or good health. And we can have this conversation with people and convince them with the science, with the data, and we can show them, we can show them the case studies and the transformations. And I think people are more inclined to want to try it. And of course, now the world is changing so rapidly. We've got all these fantastic plant-based meats and all these alternatives. Seven years ago, when I went vegan, there wasn't really very much out there. There was, you know, there was a few um, types of plant milks in the supermarket and what was on the internet was more like a cry for help than anything else. <laughs> yeah. You know, so so things have changed so much. And I think what's incredible is we have this wonderful community of people that are come in so many different shapes and sizes. People in fitness, people in the law, people on television and the media, celebrities, artists, musicians, so many people getting behind this lifestyle because it just makes sense. So we're no longer the only vegan in the village. We are kind of more likely to be people who have the support of people around us and that doesn't necessarily mean in our village but online you know so there's always that moral support out there if you need it which i think is essential yeah yeah i agree i I think again it's the community that's going to make this 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 shift Mm. right it's it's the peers it's the environment that we're around that's going to make this shift because we need the support you know anybody that decides to make a life-changing decision always should have support in some mm. sense. Mm-hmm. And these outlets, luckily with the the evolution of social media, there's been so like an out, like outrageous amount of support, you know, but at the same time, it, again, it, it also opens the doors to the non-supporters or the, mm-hmm. the people that challenge you. So it, it's just about, you know, understanding why you're doing something. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like once you find the why to anything, then it makes you resilient because you can always revert back to that why. And for me, my why was helping people become healthier and in turn kind of opening up the door for them to become more conscious individuals and understand things from a different perspective that, you know, once you change your thoughts and your actions are connected Mm. so tightly and, Mm. you know, 
Your thoughts control your actions. Your actions control your thoughts. If you change the act of eating meat mm-hmm. and eliminate it from your diet, your thoughts on the subject will change as well. And it'll real mm-hmm. and you'll realize that, hey, maybe I don't need to eat this stuff to thrive and feel mm-hmm. great. And mm-hmm. your your perspective changes. And I've seen it so many times with guys and girls, but guys that I never thought that would ever, ever in a million years adopt a plant-based diet, try it. And then, you know, months later, they're posting about it on their social media saying mm-hmm. like, hey, <laughs> like posting like animal rights stuff. And I'm uh-huh. like, it's, it blows my mind, but the, but right. the, con- the consciousness develops, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And it, it's, it's, it's a really crazy thing. It's incredible. It's incredible to see how someone can go 180 degrees. My own father, who's now vegan, he's 60. He went vegan and veganery list last year. He's the last person in the entire universe I thought would ever go vegan. Um, I bring him up on this podcast quite a lot because he's like that perfect example of that one person you thought would never, never, ever go vegan for a million years, right? He's he's a level 10 vegan now. He goes around introducing himself. Hi, I'm Colin. I'm a vegan. <laughs> and he's, I mean, he's almost too much sometimes. I'm like, dad, turn it down a bit. <laughs> uh, you know, he's like, I'm so vegan. I speak to the ants. I mean, he like, he is crazy about it. It's given him, it's almost breathed in a new lease of life for him as a person because he feels like his life has purpose now. He started his own vegan yogurt company and he's just really passionate about the whole movement and everything that we're doing. And it's just, it's inspiring. I mean, I, I'm inspired on a daily basis. I see so many young men and women um, and older men and women all over the world, like taking on this lifestyle, starting businesses, starting blogs and podcasts and writing articles and so passionate. And what is fantastic about it is it touches so many different parts of our lives. It's our health. It's our environment. It's... um the animals that we share this world with, it's our ethical and spiritual kind of stance in the world we live in. And it really shapes us as people. And I think one of the things I love about what you do on social media is you don't just sort of talk about bodybuilding and you're not just there flexing your muscles on stage. <laughs> you know, you really care about what people kind of, uh, how people view the world and themselves. And one of the particular topics I love is the discussions around masculinity and, and men as individuals. Um, and sort of, you know, the conversation around like the negative sides of masculinity and toxic masculinity do you want to talk a bit about like how you your passion for being you know an influencer and a man that shapes this kind of conversation um came about because it is a fairly new thing the discussion around toxic masculinity yeah for sure i think that toxic masculinity is a buzzword and i think that it is getting a lot of uh I was getting a lot of conversations lately and I've even had episodes on my podcast talking about toxic masculinity because it is a very, very interesting topic. Um, and it, it all boils down to, you know, what men feel inclined to act like based off of their environment, Mm. you know, and they, they feel like they're supposed to act a certain way because that's how men act. Mm -hmm. You know, men can't be vulnerable. Men can't show compassion. Men can't expose themselves or um, display any kind of feminine feminine trait or characteristic or mm-hmm. else they won't be a man or considered mm-hmm. a man. You know, all of these things are, are really – it is detrimental to to a person because it, it forces you to be someone you're not, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it, it's – you see it more and more every day. And, and normally this, this happens by like compensating in other ways. Mm-hmm. So by trying to prove that you're not in any way, shape or form 
feminine or vulnerable or, or any of these things, you overcompensate it by acting out the complete opposite direction. You become dominant, you become aggressive, mm. you mm. become all of these, these things. So it, it's about just leading by example, man, we're, we're both feminine and masculine creatures. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if one is dominant, then, it, you know, there, there becomes an imbalance there. Mm-hmm. And it's about finding that balance in yourself and, and really understanding that you are human. You experience emotions. It's okay to display emotions. It's okay to display compassion to, you know, those around you. You know, you don't have to be a brick wall, you know, all the time. You don't have to have your walls up. It's okay. I think, I think there is such strength in vulnerability because it shows that you are human. Mm. you know, and, and it's about convincing or not convincing, just leading by example. And that's Mm -hmm. what I really, I I really try to embody and just remember that, you know, be the, uh, like, be the person that you would want to look up to, like Mm. try to embody that person, like the characteristics of somebody that you would really truly look up to. And, you know, be the example for the younger generation. And that's like, that's my biggest focus is like showing the next generation that it, it's, it's okay mm-hmm. to be who you are. Mm-hmm. You don't have to feel judged. And the more people that are the, that come out and that they're just act themselves, the more it'll become accepted, you know, but, but the problem is <laughs> there's just so much toxicity in the world at the mm-hmm. moment that it, yeah, it, be- yeah. it becomes very, mm. I guess, overwhelming to even consider doing that. But there's, there's, there are definitely people out there that exemplify what it, what I think really means to be a man. Mm-hmm. Um, what does manliness mean to you? Like what does it def- define um, what a man is to you? I, I really think that, you know, I don't even like saying being a man or being a woman, because again, you, you create these kind of like paradigms for what mm-hmm. it means to be that way. But I think that, uh, truly self-aware person person should like stand up for what you believe in, you know, whether or not it makes, you know, your life a little bit more challenging, a little bit more difficult, like stay true to who you are. Mm. I also think that, you know, showing like what it means to really be strong is to use your strength for those that don't have it, Mm -hmm. you know, use your voice to speak for those that can't, Mm -hmm. you know, and most of all, I really do believe that that strength should be measured by compassion. Mm-hmm. You know, like that is a true me- measure of strength because it puts you in a selfless state of mind. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of being a selfish person, selfish person, you know, you you put yourself in a state of mind where you can relate to somebody other than yourself, and you can mm-hmm. put yourself in their shoes, and then it, you really truly understand why somebody is acting a certain way or, or what it, what it feels like to be in their situation. Mm. And that takes so much strength to, to drop your ego, Mm. you know, and put yourself in that state of mind. Mm. It's all about ego, isn't it? We all possess an ego and an ego can either make or break us as a person in this life. And I really believe that. And I think with men, you know, and how we're socialized as young boys, we're kind of crafted and molded into these really hard uh, outer shells where we're taught, as you say, to to not show emotion, to not be vulnerable. But, you know, really the difference between men and women isn't that stark. You know, obviously men are seen in some ways a different 
to women, but really in our, in our most kind of intrinsic kind of form, men and women are the same. We're, we're just human beings. And I think that our society and our language are the two things that kind of shift and shape who we are as men, particularly. And I think this toxic masculinity is the kind of darker side of masculinity. And I think, you know, femininity probably has it as well. We all have these darker sides to us. But what's really frustrating is that the word toxic masculinity or even bringing up the conversation sparks this anger and this kind of you know this what they say getting triggered you know people get a lot of young men or men in general get triggered by the even mention of the word toxic masculinity because you know they worry that you're trying to challenge the masculinity or remove the masculinity and there isn't you know, there isn't any of that. It's all about like having the conversation about how we can be better men, how we can, you know, change the way we speak about women, particularly, you know, the language around things like when people say, don't be like a girl or don't run like a girl or don't be so emotional, you know, things yeah. like that. Where yeah, our boys language, don't cry. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. This this kind of intrinsic sexism or sort of tox- toxicity is built into our very language and we have to be very conscious. And the reason I link it to veganism is because I feel like as a young man growing up and not eating meat, I'm pretty sure you must have been challenged left, right and centre. Um, I, I don't know where, you didn't mention like where you grew up in your environment, but I know a lot of young men who are vegetarian who grew up not eating meat and they were continuously called gay or feminine or girly or whatever because they just, just because they chose not to eat meat and it's incredible <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's um, a, it's a it's a definitely a difficult thing and and like mm-hmm. touching back on like my childhood yeah of course mm-hmm. it was it was i was challenged every day and like the the three most common things to do where i grew up were hunting fishing and barbecuing and mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't do any of those things, mm-hmm. you know? So constantly I, I would try to be part of the tribe and like hang out with friends and go to birthday parties and, and whatever mm-hmm. else. And then, you know, whenever they were cooking up barbecue steaks and, and burgers and stuff like that, I, I, I wouldn't partake in that. And then of mm-hmm. course it would bring up the conversation like, oh yeah, Nehemiah doesn't eat meat. And mm-hmm. then it was just like result in like an eruption of laughter. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't understand what's so funny. Right. Like, I don't understand what's so funny about that. Like, why is, why is what I eat in any way, shape or form relevant to you? Uh-huh. Right. But again, but isn't it, yeah. Isn't it incredible though, how being like that as a young man, you were almost punished for your compassion. Of course. Yeah, of course. I mean, when everybody else around me is going out literally hunting to kill something, I'm talking about like showing compassion for, for those same animals. And it, it just it completely goes against everything that I grew up around. Mm. It's incredible. But that's a huge topic. We could probably speak for hours on it. So we'll move on to to other matters. <laughs> one of the one of the other things I absolutely love about your social media is your relationship with Bianca, your partner. Um, the two of you are incredibly inspirational in how you kind of um, talk about your relationship and how you are very open about who you are as people. Um, talk a little bit about how you both met and how your relationship has kind of unfolded um, in the last few years. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It, it, it's interesting to have a public relationship. I'll say that, mm. um, me and her both were kind of doing the same thing on Instagram. You know, we we're both promoting a vegan message. We we're both within the vegan fitness space, I guess you would call it. And we had definitely seen each other, you know, come across each other's profiles. Um, and we, at the time had both cu- come out of like long-term relationships and we just mm. became friends. And, Mm. you know, we just continued that friendship for a long time. She lived across the country from me. So we really developed a really strong friendship uh, before even meeting in person. Mm -hmm. 
And, uh, yeah, then, you know, once we met in person, it, it was just like, it just felt great. And, you know, when you, when you're with somebody that, or you meet somebody that just aligns with your vision and mm-hmm. your views on life and mm-hmm. kind of what you expect out of a relationship, it just makes all the difference because I've been mm-hmm. in both scenarios where mm-hmm. it's been the complete opposite and it's, it's mm-hmm. such a, a forceful thing to try to make something work that just wasn't meant to work. So Luckily, I, I feel so blessed to have someone like her in my life and kind of compliment each other in so many ways and mm-hmm. uh, understand, again, it takes a lot of um, understanding to do what we do and put ourselves mm-hmm. out there as much mm-hmm. as we do, mm-hmm. because what you do is you stick your neck out for somebody to take a shot at you. Mm-hmm. And it it's it's difficult at times to for, have complete strangers interject into your personal life Mm. and share their thoughts and opinions on how you should be or how you shouldn't be. Mm. And that's a challenge in itself, but I feel like it's only strengthened like kind of our relationship and who we are Mm. as individuals because it, Mm. you know, each time those, those shots are fired, it it, like our armor gets a little bit stronger and Mm -hmm. we deflect those things and just don't, don't give them any, any life. Mm. you both seem very independent and kind of like strong as people like you're both very passionate and you're not afraid to just speak your truth and that's another thing I love about the way you both talk about your lives and the things you care about you know a lot of people are afraid to talk about being vegan or, or what they care about in the world they focus on the very kind of niche topics and it's just great to see you know a young couple like yourselves sharing that in such a way but also in your own unique styles so you're not kind of like glued to each other where well, you are sometimes obviously but like you're you know you're the way you express yourselves is very unique and i think that's you know it's a fantastic and really inspiring thing to see so thank you for sharing that with the world uh, yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, you know, I think, I think that I I've, I've come through many realizations in the last like year or maybe a few years, you know, because there's been so many ups and downs and so many, like just my life's taken a, a very different path than what I originally expected it to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I could say the biggest contributing factor to that is really owning your truth. Mm-hmm. and aligning yourself with who you are on the inside. Mm-hmm. And it has become such a big part of my life because I suppressed it for so long about mm-hmm. how I felt and what I really thought. Mm-hmm. And I was always afraid that it would repel people away from me. And what I found after I really owned my truth was that, you know, once you start vibrating on your divine frequency and who you mm-hmm. are as a, as a person to your core, you attract those things back into your life in, in other ways. You know, I, I truly feel that I attracted, you know, in some way, shape or form Bianca into my life. I attracted all these opportunities into my life because I stopped resisting. I stopped trying to be somebody I wasn't. Mm. And I, I just encourage anybody out there that's listening to, to really take a introspective look at who you are as a person and what you're passionate about and what makes you truly happy and just do more of that. And don't be afraid, just do more of that. Mm, Absolutely. And I like a lot of the kind of little captions that you put on there. So it's not just kind of health and fitness stuff, but you also put your thoughts about things. And there's one that sort of stood out to me a while ago. I can't remember the exact wording, but it was along the lines of, if you don't do the work on the inside, all the work on the outside is kind of pointless. Um, you know, if you don't build that person who you are, as you said, you know, that mental, um, kind of resilience, then, you know, you can do all the the work you want in the gym and be as big and strong and powerful as possible as you want. But really at the end of the day, who are you? Yeah. 
Yeah, again, and that's that's why I think mindfulness is so important, you know, and it's it's definitely something that I incorporate every day into my life because again, you can you again, I think the quote was something like, yeah, you can go to the gym, you can lift weights, you can eat healthy, but if you don't deal with the stuff that's going on internally, then uh-huh. you'll never be healthy. Right. Because but, like true yeah. true health starts from within. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you're if you're constantly having negative thoughts, mm. you know, those those surface in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. So it, it's about yeah. truly understanding like who you are as a person doing some reflection and then just, just living that way, like living your truth. Yeah. There's um, a fantastic uh, therapist. She's a marriage counselor and a sexual therapist and a, she's just a fantastic Ted speaker as well. Esther Perel. Have you ever heard of Esther Perel? No, I haven't. You should absolutely look her up. She's got an incredibly inspiring TEDx talk about uh, long-term relationships. Um, and one of the kind of discussions she opens up is that um, love and desire are two opposing forces that exist within our relationships. Love wants security and safety and dependability and, re- and reliability, whereas desire wants danger and intrigue and mystery and kind of, you know, the, the unknown we want both of these things from our relationships. We want our friend to be our best friend and our confidant and our comedian and our lover and our, all these things. And we put so much pressure how, in your, in your kind of relationship. How do you kind of balance those two energies? What are your kind of tips for kind of keeping things flowing in a way that's um, forward moving? Honesty. <laughs> honesty <laughs> is the biggest, is the big honesty and communication. Mm. Those are the top two things that are like the pillars of any relationship because let's face it, if you aren't honest with who you are, what your desires are, mm. you know, those, those become internal struggles again. Mm. And if you're constantly battling with yourself of like trying to put on a mask of maintaining this image for this person that you're in a relationship with, you know, those, those feelings only start to build. And then once the mask comes off, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of like resentment and things that you haven't dealt with. So mm-hmm. I would, I would truly say that uh, honesty and communication has been the, the biggest factors of, um, you know, success for my personal relationship. And I think that they, they contribute to a lot of success in other people's relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that, that we talked about early on was just, you know, being transparent with, with how we felt, whether, you know, it, it may like upset that person that we're mm-hmm. with, but mm-hmm. ultimately it, it allows you to understand that person a lot better. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. again, it, it takes a little bit of dropping that ego again, mm-hmm. because sometimes mm-hmm. we try to save face by, mm-hmm. by being dishonest and mm-hmm. it only el- ends up hurting somebody. It may save them short term, but hurt, hurt them much much more in the long term. Mm. A wise person, I don't know who someone said to me once, you know, in a happy relationship, you can't be wi- you can't be right and happy at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, comp- compromise. That's the biggest uh-huh. one. That's the next biggest yeah. one. Yeah. So obviously we're talking about having kind of like a public relationship, but also being very active on social media. You use this tool, this incredible tool to reach so many, many people. We have, and all of us now have a very strange relationship with technology. You know, it can empower us, but it can also enslave us. How do you guys um, maintain a healthy relationship with this technology? How do you avoid being at dinner and constantly being on the phone or wanting to capture every moment without kind of, you know, the technology getting in the way of your life and you as a person? 
Yeah, it's that's a real challenge. I'll be 100% transparent. You know, I'm not the best at keeping it separated. Uh, I don't think anybody is at this point, at least if they say they are, I'd like send them my way because I'd love to learn how. <laughs> but um, I, I think especially if you, if you run a business from your phone and you're like, kind of like an entrepreneur, so much relies on like, you know, Mm. on your phone and that Mm. technology, it becomes an extension of yourself. But I think maintaining that awareness that you are not the person that like, you are not incomplete without this piece of device, you know, the social Mm -hmm. media or the technology, Mm. like you are still a complete person. And that, what you share online should be an extension of who you truly are. Because Mm -hmm. again, whenever you share things that may be unrealistic or not who you really are, you have to maintain that image, you Mm -hmm. know, and that Mm -hmm. becomes a full-time job if you're not being authentic and it only creates more struggle in the long run. So I, I would just say, you know, understand that, that social media is very, it can be very, um, it can be very toxic. It can be very positive. It, it just mm-hmm. depends on how you use it. Mm-hmm. So my message is always trying to been always try to be positive. Um, always try to um, just maintain that positive perspective on everything that I share. I try not to share anything that's negative. I try not to give life to any negativity, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's just been working for me because again, if you don't allow that negativity to penetrate your phone. Um, then you can still remain positive, but there mm-hmm. is so much negativity floating around social mm-hmm. media that if you allowed it to penetrate your phone and enter your life, then it could be a huge, huge detriment to your mental health um, and to your real life, you know, because mm-hmm. we all, we all have this social media life mm-hmm. where we are this person. And then we have a real life where we are who we are. Mm-hmm. So it's about finding that balance and try to keep those two, you know, as authentic as possible. Amen to that. Yeah, this week, I think this week or last week, you said life is too short to spend it arguing with strangers on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) It is, man. It is like, who gives a shit if Bob from South Carolina doesn't like me? Like, what what do I care? You know, I don't. It's like, I would rather know that people don't like me for who I am Uh than be Mm. liked for somebody that I'm not. Uh You know, because again, it it all comes back to that, like law of attraction thing. You know, the more you are who you are, you attract people like you into your life Mm -hmm. and you repel those that don't resonate with you. So Mm -hmm. yeah, don't, don't. Don't give, don't don't give energy to to that negativity. Yeah. Yeah. Don't feed the truth. And and, and dude, yeah, Robbie, I'm not gonna lie to you. It's tough sometimes, you know, cause I'm human. I'm a yeah. human, and as much as I try not even to have an you're ego, a superhuman, you are. Let's no, be honest, you are a superhuman. No, not at all. Like, you know, even even though as much as I try not to have an ego, <sighs> I'm, I'm human, and I have an yeah, ego, yeah. right? So sometimes I want to fire back at people yeah. like that, mm-hmm. but then it, it's really important to understand that you know everybody's going through something, and mm-hmm. again, instead of getting angry at somebody, mm-hmm. you just put yourself in a compassionate state of mind and understand that maybe they're going through something that you have no idea and you just happen to be in their crosshairs today. Mm-hmm. And when you look at things like that, you almost feel, feel for them, mm-hmm. you know, that they, that something you do or something you post is so triggering to the fact where they would take time out of their day to try to let you know that they don't like you. It's just mm-hmm. a reflection about something they don't like about themselves that you triggered. And once you have that perspective, it makes it a lot easier to kind of not give any life force into their Mm-hmm. Their, their comments. 
Absolutely. Just at the end now, some quick fire questions from our audience. Are you ready for those? There's a yeah. few there. So, so uh, CG, that's me, says, what are your go-to snacks? Uh, my go-to snacks. First one would be avocado toast. That's a big one for me. I love it. I could eat it all day. Um, another snack. Uh, let me think. Um, uh, let me, th- man, you, you're putting me on the spot here. Uh, <laughs> smoothies i i consider a smoothie a snack for me fruit okay. you know mm-hmm. i eat a lot of fruit too mangoes i can destroy like 10 mangoes in one sitting <laughs> what about your naughty snacks any like cheeky yeah. indulgence cereal uh-huh. cereal for sure i could eat a box of cereal like i've got a problem <laughs> <laughs> bianca, bianca gets mad at me because we'll buy a box of cereal uh-huh. and uh it'll be gone before like a day Wow. Got to like, get that crunch. It, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, thirty one says suggestions for vegan pre workouts. Um, I, I always recommend like black coffee. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you need some kind of like energy, um, black coffee. It, it, I mean, most pre workouts have just a ton of caffeine in them, so you might as well just try to get it from a natural source. Mm-hmm. Another thing I would say would be uh, beetroot powder. Mm. Beetroot powder is a it's a really good pre-workout. You, you have to drink it like almost two hours before though. So mm-hmm. it takes a little while to like kind of be in your blood, in your bloodstream. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's filled with nitrates. It definitely helps with like opening up those blood vessels and, and, and oxygen transport. So mm-hmm. beetroot powder is a big one. Mm-hmm. Giving you that pump. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Paddy Brian says bulk and cut or slow lean bulk for the less experienced gym goer. Yeah. I would say if, if choose one and go with it. You mm-hmm. know, it, bulking and cutting are two completely opposite goals. Mm. So if you try to bulk and cut at the same time, you're just going to spin your wheels. That's why I always recommend my clients to choose one, commit to it, understand that there are pros and cons to each one mm-hmm. and, and accepting it. And then, you know, if, if you're trying to lose weight, that means you're going to get smaller. You're going to lose the muscle, uh, but it's about kind of optimizing how much muscle you lose versus how much fat you lose. And mm-hmm. you can do it smart or you can do it inefficiently. Um, and same thing with bulking, you know, you can put on muscle at a, at a slow and steady pace, but you're going to put on some fat as well. Mm. But if you just, you know, <laughs> again, you, you justify to yourself, Hey, I'm bulking. I can go eat, you know, two mm. pizzas from Purezza. Then, uh, <laughs> you know, that's not, it may not be the best way of getting in the calories and you might just be way overeating and yeah, you'll gain weight, but how much of that is actual muscle? There's a, there's a fine balance of understanding, mm-hmm. you know, your goal. Alex and Andrea says, what keeps you motivated? Um, <laughs> I, I feel like I always have this really deep innate motivation that stems from my parents mm-hmm. because they have sacrificed so much for me. Uh, again, they're immigrants. You know, I'm the only American born in my family and they sacrificed so much for me to be in this country and have opportunities. So, um, that's, that's truly inspiring to me to understand what they've been through their entire life and just to give their children a, an opportunity for a better, um, a better life than they had. So they're, they're my, my number one inspiration and motivation. And then second of all, I would say, um, I would say for sure, you know, doing something that's bigger than myself you know, and trying to progress something that's bigger than myself because we're, we're all in this together. And at the end of the day, and we all live on this planet together. 
So if we can leave this planet in a better condition than the way it was when we got here, then that's a huge victory, in my mm. opinion. Amazing. Uh, Fancy Face Vegan says, damn boy, how did you get those abs? <laughs> uh I guess, you know, they say abs are made in the kitchen and there's some truth to that. Mm. Uh, what you eat plays a big role on mm. like everybody's got abs, you know, mm. they're just hidden. It's just about finding a way to expose them. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, people think that if you do ab exercises every day, you'll get abs. You know, there, I, I don't, I, to be honest, man, I don't do that many ab exercises. Like mm. I might do one set a week. You know, mm. um, if I'm cutting, I'll do a little bit more, but really where you build abs and core strength is from compound movements. So mm -hmm. things like your squats, your deadlifts, um, you know, your bent over rows, all these things that incorporate a strong core, that's, what's mm -hmm. going to really build your abs because you don't see guys like Phil Heath, you know, Mr. Olympia, you don't see them on like on the, on the ground doing crunches, you know, mm. cause it's just, mm -hmm. it doesn't come from that, you know, mm. it comes from the bigger compound movements. One last question is from Plant Based News. Uh, <laughs> um, do you know the the vegan island where the pig is? People say, "What if you were stuck on that vegan island, that island with a pig?" <laughs> I'm not going to get you to eat the pig because obviously you're a vegan, but you're stuck on this island. If I could give you one music album, one book, and one vegan dish, what would it be? Oh man, okay, music album. Um... I think it would have to be Michael Jackson's greatest hits for sure. I'm a, a big MJ fan. Uh, always have, of course I grew up in the nineties. Um, one vegan dish. Oh man. Forever. Forever. <laughs> give me, can I have a blender too? Do I have a power outlet? <laughs> yeah. You got a solar panel. I'll give you that. <laughs> okay. If I have a blender, I'll do the smoothies every day. I mean, that sounds like a good deal to me. I'll be on a tropical Island. Yeah. You know, I got some friends with me. Yeah. Um, and what was the third one? Uh, your book. What book would you take with you? Ooh, the book? Oh, for sure. The Bhagavad Gita. I think there's, there's so much you could read about the Bhagavad Gita and still never, uh, you know, fully comprehend it. So yeah, Bhagavad Gita for sure. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Mr. Nimado Gado, thank you so much for joining us on the PBN podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, Robbie. I, I really appreciate it. And have, I'm glad you even invited me. <laughs> oh, it's been amazing. Thanks for listening, everyone. I've been your host, Robbie Lockie. We'll be back next week with more veganism, health, fitness, fashion, and everything in between. Mm -hmm.